You're listening to audio from One Church of High Point. If you'd like more resources or would like to donate, visit onechurchnc.net. Thank you, worship team, as always. Boy, I felt that Second Chronicles. I don't know about you. That story came into my spirit. And then I began to believe what Scripture tells us that. That's a whole nother sermon. Let me get on topic because. I would just If you know that story. In Second Chronicles where Jehoshaphat, he's. It's something when your enemies who don't like each other conspire to come against you. You understand what I'm saying? That's like Duke and Carolina coming together. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Man. Past several weeks, been in a sermon series called At the Cross. At the Cross. And so today is our last, our last series, our last sermon for that series. And last week, man, God showed up and showed out. Man, I tell you, it was just amazing, just an amazing time where God was just working through um, his children and the Holy Spirit was unleashed in such a way. I believe the Shekinah glory fell on this place. And last week we talked about, just because it was Resurrection Sunday, you know, we talked about the stone and the seal and the soldier. For those of you who weren't here, we talked about where the stone was a problem that had to be controlled. And that, that seal was the power that had to be changed. And that soldier was that individual who we had to confront. And truth be told, there's some, there's some, some problems, some, some powers, and some individuals that we have to begin to readily identify. But last week we talked about how God went before us. He went before Mary and the disciples and he rolled the stone away. He removed the seal and he restrained the soldier. So even today, the problem that you may be facing, God is rolling that stone away. The power that's keeping you restrained God is removing and that individual that person who's causing you some problems God is going to restrain and I'm so excited to know that God is still sitting on a throne thinking about you and I in such a way so if you have your Bibles let's turn to Luke chapter 24 I'll be lifting up 11 through verse 27 And I want us just to really get the context of what really is taking place today. This is, for me, one of my favorite passages of scriptures because this particular account of the scriptures is only written in the book of Luke. And Luke is, by profession, he's a doctor. And by his profession, we know that doctors should be detailed, amen? You can't use shorthand like I use shorthand when I write my notes, right? Because you want to know fully what the doctor is saying about your sickness or your illness. And that's the reason why I think Luke was the only person that captured this particular story in scriptures. 
Luke chapter 24, verses 11 through 27. But they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the stripes of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. And correction, that's strips, not stripes. Amen. Pray for you, Pastor. I might need to borrow my wife's glasses. I have to throw some shade to my wife a little bit. It's not. Stay on task, Pastor. Stay on task. I will. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along them, but they were kept from recognizing him. I want you guys to realize that. They're having a conversation about what's taking place, and here comes Jesus, strolling along, walks in and joins them in on this conversation. Just, just imagine it. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you're walking along? They stood still with their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only, visiting, only, only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and in deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what was more is that on the third day since all this took place, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish are you? How slow to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. If I had to give a title to my lesson today, that would be After the Cross. After the Cross the cross. Why would I give such a title? Have you ever wondered, like, what takes place after the cross, right? After you, you begin to believe who Christ is and believe what God is doing and you receive salvation. So what is after the cross? Because the cross itself symbolizes salvation. So what's next? So let me just paint this picture. Let me just really map out Luke chapter 24, what's taking place. You have two people walking down to the road of Emmaus talking about what just took place these past several days. 
They're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and how he was beaten and bruised and wounded for our transgression, how they took a spear and put it into the flesh of our Lord and Savior. If I was one of those individuals, I would be talking about, did you see when he fell on the ground and where when Simon had to pick up the cross, I'm like, I'm not picking up that cross. I will have a conversation like, you pick up the cross. That's, I'm not carrying that man's burden. I'm not, I'm not guilty of his sin. Because to carry someone else's cross, you're saying, you know what? I'm guilty of the sin that was taking place. I believe even in those conversations, I believe that at that point in time, you, they would be talking about Mary. Like, did you see his mother and how she was weeping at her son being crucified? The father watching his son hanging on that cross. His brother James, amazed. The disciples scattered. What would you be talking about? God gives us experiences in life so that way we can align our faith with the word of God. I want you to understand that. That God gives us experiences throughout this lifetime that our lives in such a way that we can align our faith with his word. Is your faith lined up with what scripture says? See, my wife, since I'm already talking about her, amen, I'm going to talk about her some more. My wife has some caring tendencies. Mm. Okay, let me, let me, that's, that's too early for some of you guys. She has some Becky tendencies. Is that better? Okay, there you go. There you go. She has some tendencies where she may miss some things. I love her to death and to life. So when I, when I think about loving my wife and we begin to talk about life experiences and how what God gives us to experience here in life to really align our, our, our value and our actions to what the Word of God says, then I automatically go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it talks about love is patient, that love is kind, that love does, is not jealous or boastful or proud or it's not rude. It does not demand itself in its own way, that it, it is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wrong. And so what that means is that I have to begin to love my wife in such a way that I have to be patient with her. And sometimes I'm not the most patient person. Because if you're type A, you know, you're about you know, procedures and, and, you know, just rhythms and making sure structure is there. My wife, bless her heart, boy, she's just a flower child. Her name is Felicia, right, which means Felice, which is happy. And she's just, man, I tell you. I'm like, babe, I need you to get into the rhythm. <laughs> but then I remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that love is patient. That love is kind. That love is not jealous or boastful. And even in our relationships, it keeps no track of evil. There will be times during this journey of faith that will not be comfortable or convenient for you. That if you truly believe that if you have taken the cross, if you have proclaimed Christ or who he is, there will be times along this walk of your Christian faith that will not be comfortable or convenient. Because I believe this, 
that God will grow you in painful predicaments. God will begin to grow you in painful predicaments. The many people begin to ask, how is it possible that a loving God will prescribe pain to grow you for his glory and his grace? Like, right? Like, God, why would you inflict this pain on me so that way I can grow in such a way that I, that I can showcase your glory and your grace? The two guys are probably saying, Jesus, I just, I just don't know. Like, I don't know what, what this pain and what, this, what you want from me. Like, we're talking about what has taken place these past 24, 72 hours. Jesus knew the only way that we will listen to him is to put us through the school of hard knocks. Right? That Jesus knows sometimes that for us to really get to a place where he wants us to be, that he will have to position us to have life taking place to us. Pastor Stephen Furtick says this. He said, time under tension is the formula for growth. That time under tension is the true formula for you and I to grow in Christ. In other ways, it could be put like this. Your tolerance for tension determines your potential for growth. Your tolerance for the tension, the stress, those trials in your life determines your potential for growth. Many times we see tension at work. We may find tension at home. We may even find tension in our families. And even in the ministry of the gospel, there's tension. And sometimes so much tension in all four of these aspects that sometimes, you know, we're like, we, we don't know what to do. But when we're faced with the crossroads of life, know that you're in a classroom being taught by God. So if you're struggling financially, guess what? You're in a classroom called stewardship. If you're struggling and constantly being faced with being offended or being the offender, guess what? You're in a classroom of forgiveness. If you're struggling in your relationship, God is trying to teach you another way to love. So what class or test is God taking you through right now? What test is God really prompting you in? What, what, what is God trying to teach you through this season of your life? What does God have for me? Have you ever asked that question? Like, God, when am I going to get mine? I'm watching everybody else get theirs. Like, when is my time coming? When and what? But I ask you this, does God have your yes? Does he have your yes? Does God have your yes when he calls you to go out into the mission field? Does God have your yes when he calls you to do the ministry? Does God have your yes even in the discomfort of pain? Because we know that sometimes God's yes is his no.
God's no is actually, it's not a rejection, it's a redirection. Think about that. God's no sometimes is not a rejection of you. God is trying to redirect you in such a way that you begin to align yourself with him. It's in the redirection of our lives that God is bringing us closer to where he wants us to go and what he's preparing us to do and what he's called us to do. And sometimes that redirection is not, it's, it's not pretty. For many of you guys know, I, I've been, I was a marketplace leader in the community. I've worked with hotels doing sales and marketing. I worked for uh, some amazing companies in the hotel community. And early on when I joined or started my career in the hotel arena as a just a sales rep, director of sales, regional director of sales, area director of sales. I remember my first job at the hotel industry. I worked at a hotel called um, Holiday Inn. And God told me to quit the job. Like my season there was up. I'm like, God, I got this. You know, you know I'm trying to get things going. I'm trying to build my resume. I'm trying to, you know, do life and make things happen. Like, God, nope. God said, Ryan, I need you to quit your job. Like, I need you to find another, another hotel company to partner with. I'm like, God, it's just not time. I'm having this conversation back and forth with God, and guess what God did? I got fired. <laughs> I'm like, God, that's, that's, not, that's not in my roadmap of life. You know, how can, you know, I think I'm a semi-golden child, you know, like with little, Felicia says, I'll have a little halo, you know. <laughs> I'm like, how am I going to get fired from this job? And I did everything right. So to give you context, so I had some clients that I was working with because this hotel was a little distressed. Can I put it that way? In other words, it was broke down and busted. I tell people, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig, right? It doesn't matter. You, you can't dress it up any other way. You put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig, right? You got bacon and ham hocks and all that great stuff, right? It's still a pig. And so in my hotel professional career, what I began to realize is that this particular company struggled making money. And so for me to be sustainable because I was responsible for the financial wealth of the hotel, I started booking business that was not favorable as a believer. I started booking parties that was like an all-white party. Not all white people, I'm just saying we're all white, okay? Y'all missed it. <laughs> oh, gosh, man. So an all-white party is when you dress up in all-white. So we had an all-black party that we called an eclipse party. Guess what? You dressed up in all black. And then we had some exclusive parties where we have a hotel buyout, a hotel sellout, basically to, their, to their, their group of people. And I was being surrounded. I was selling VIP booths, and I had like, you know, 10 VIP booths in this, this big old um, meeting room, ballroom. And each VIP booth was $500 a pop. I would have pri you know, private bartenders for each VIP booth because I was selling. I was trying to make money. There was nights when we would have these parties that we'll, we would count physically in cash, $40,000. And God said, Ryan, what you're being surrounded for you is not what I have for you. The things that you are seeing, the things that you are exposing your spirit to is not conducive for where I want you to go. So what God eventually said, I'm going to have to let you go. So this particular client that I was working with, um, the air conditioning in the ballroom will go out frequently. 
And you can't have your sexy on wearing all white and you're sweating, right? So you need air conditioning. So three days before the party was supposed to take place, the air conditioning the hotel went out. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I contracted another party, another, a third party vendor to pipe in air conditioning with Sunbelt. Contracted it because like this, I wrote it in the contract, I signed it, my client signed it. And then the owners came in and said, Ryan, I'm sorry, we have to let you go because you overstepped your boundaries as a, a sales director. So in short, what God is trying to tell me is this. What I have for you and what I want you to do, I need you to disassociate yourself with certain things. But during that process of being let go from the hotel, I remembered my walk with Jesus. The walk that God has called me to walk after the cross. The walk where God is saying, Ryan, this is what I want you to do. Because you have professed my name as your Lord and Savior. These are the things I need you to do. As we look at Luke chapter 24 and 13, it goes and says that the two men were walking to a village called Emmaus, and they were about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking about the events that was taking place. And then Jesus comes up and begins to talk to these two individuals and have a conversation with them. And sometimes we can be so tired of our past that we miss what God is calling us to do. That we're so connected to our past that we miss what God is trying to call us to do. That you miss what God has for you next. That you remember about all the things that you used to do, all the business that you booked, all the things, all those, those awards that you had in your past, that you're missing what God is calling you to do today. Let me put it this way, that sometimes you can be so exhausted by life that you miss what God is calling you to do today. That sometimes that you're so tired with life experiences that you will miss what God is calling for you today. That you are so fatigued by sickness and trials and tribulation that you're missing what God is calling you to do after the cross. That even when you have been beaten down by ministry and family and friends, that you are missing what you are called to do today. And more importantly, that you're missing the walk with God. That God has been walking with these two individuals for quite some time. And they're reminiscing about what took place yesterday and the crucifixion and the pain that they're missing what God is doing right now and right then. They were literally walking with the Lord and Savior. Many of us may be living on broke, been there, done that, wrote a book, I got six chapters of it. Living from paycheck to paycheck, I get it, I know what that is. That we miss the call that God is calling us to do to move into the next season. And I believe this, that we should passionately pursue God's presence wherever you are that you should passionately pursue God's presence where you are presently are. What do you mean, Pastor Ryan? Pursue God. If you're presently tired, pursue God. If you're presently broke, pursue God. If you're presently sick, pursue God. If you're presently homeless, pursue God. 
If you're presently shacking up with somebody, pursue God anyways. As you're lying next to that joker, he won't, he won't give you a ring. As you're lying next to that female, well, she won't say I do. If you're presently a drug addict, pursue God. If you're presently in the fear of doubt and shame, pursue God. If you're presently in sin, pursue God. If you're presently in fornication, pursue God. If you're broken, pursue God. If you're lying, pursue God. If you're living in a homosexual lifestyle, pursue God anyways. Even when the church says you're not supposed to. Come on now. Don't get me on that topic. Because I promise you this. And it's just a sidebar. We'll see some homosexuals in heaven. You may not like it. If you want to call me or text me later on, we'll have a talk. We can sit down and talk about it over coffee. Because he says, all you have to do in your present circumstance is to confess with your mouth, to believe in your heart that the Lord Jesus Christ died and he rose and he's coming again. Even in their present condition. That's just a preview for next month's series. Get ready. So what do I do after the cross? What do I do after accepting Jesus Christ? See, see, I get the point where you're saying to passionately pursue God in his presence where I am. As jacked up as I am, as broken as I am after the cross that we're still to pursue God. A second point would be this, that you should passionately pray to God. So we're, we're called to passionately pursue God after the cross. And then we're also called to passionately pray to God. Because 1 John chapter 5, 14 tells us this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. It says the confidence. That's resolute. That means that we, we know that we know that if we approach God with anything as it lined up with his will for your life. This is not a name and acclaim it gospel. This is not a lay hands or walk around a house seven times. That we have to passionately pursue God. That we have to passionately pray for God, pray, pray to God. Because he tells us that to ask and it will be given to you. To seek and we shall find. And knock, and the doors will be opened. It's in our asking. It's in our seeking. 
It's in our knocking. It's in your asking. It's in your seeking. It's in your knocking. It's because God wants to create new opportunities for many of us, but we're so demobilized by what has happened in the past. We're so demobilized by what happened in yesterday that we're missing Jesus walking with us along the way. It is time for the next. Many people may ask and say that, you know, I, I pray to God, but he's not listening. They may even say, I pray for God to show up and he's not there. And God's response is, I never left. You're praying that God to show up, but God is saying, my son, my daughter, I never left you. I've always been here. Even when you're doing your mess, I'm still here. Because he is giving you a way of an escape. Your path is harder because God's calling you higher. Your path is harder because God is trying to elevate you. He's calling you to go higher. He's calling you to go deeper. He's calling you to pray on it. He's calling you to pray over it. And he's calling you to pray through it. He wants you to pray over it. He wants you to pray on it. And he wants you to pray through it. He wants you to pray on the things that you are troubled about. He wants you to begin to pray over it, the situation that you've been struggling with. And even in that, even if it doesn't change, he wants you to pray through it. Because I find myself doing this. I find myself locking myself up in my prayer closet, praying privately what I want God to do publicly. I'm praying privately what I want God to do publicly. There's some things that God has been putting into my spirit that, that he needs me to pray for, that I only can take to him and no one else. So when the time is ready, he will begin to expose it. And then we always end our prayer in what? Amen. And when we say an amen, this is what we're saying. We're saying that, God, I agree with you. That I'm, that I'm aligning myself, my will, and my way. The end will be moving with God. That I'm agreeing with God to move with God, to end with God. And so if I'm agreeing with God and I'm moving with God and ending with God, that means there's no other resolution but God. That I'm never doubting God. That's your amen. that I agree, that I will move, then I will end, and I will never doubt. So if I'm passionately pursuing God, and I'm passionately praying to God, then I must passionately proclaim God. What is your proclamation? What are you proclaiming who God is? What does it mean to proclaim God? Simply, just tell your story. 
just tell you a story. And tell the story about how God has changed your life. Because that's what happened at the end of this story in Luke chapter 24. That they invite Jesus to go back to their house and eat with them. And Jesus takes that invitation. And it's during that invitation where Jesus sits down to have, have dinner with them. And then Jesus reveals himself to him, to both of them, during the dinner. And then they look at each other like, didn't, didn't our hearts burn with fire? That there was something that we knew that this person was different. And they didn't stay there. They got up. They got up that very same evening. They went back to Jerusalem, which was a seven-mile hike at least, to tell the disciples, it's true. It's true that the risen Savior has rose like he said he was going to rose. That he rose in such a way with all power and all authority because we saw him with our own eyes. We sat and had dinner with him. We talked with him. And we saw the scars in his hands. We saw the piercing on his side. They proclaimed who he was. They proclaimed the Old Testament prophets that it was filled. So what do we do after the cross? Church, as our worship team get ready, we're called to passionately pursue God with all our hearts. And so if you're a believer here today, and you said, I do to God, and you said that, God, I'll receive you as my Lord and Savior, and somewhere along the way that you stop pursuing God, that you're just doing life, that you're just living life on a normal way, that you're not really pursuing God, that you're wholeheartedly after Him, this is your checkpoint. We're also called to passionately pray to God and also passionately to proclaim Him. You may be asking how. How do we do all of this? How do we do these three things? I'll tell you how. You begin to ask God, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing in my community? What are you doing in my church? Not only what is God doing, where is he doing it? Where is God moving? How is God showing up? Because if you know the what and the where, then the question is this, who has yet to be reached? See, those two individuals went back to Jerusalem to proclaim who God was, that Jesus Christ did rise from the grave. So as we ask, what is God doing? Where is he doing it? Who has yet to be reached? Then the last one should be this, how can I join in? How can I join in doing what God has called us to do? You can join in in so many different ways because we know that victory belongs to Jesus. Somewhere along the way, many of us have gotten lost after the cross that we're okay with this safe Christianity, that we're okay with the status quo of life. 
but he called us to pursue him. He called us to pray with him and pray to him. And he called us to passionately proclaim the gospel. Simply put, that's Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And many of us haven't shared our testimony so much that it's, it's old. We need to shake the dust off of it. That you need to begin to share your testimony in such a way that somebody who needs it. And I'm reminded of John chapter 15. He tells us this. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do anything. Apart from me, that you can't do anything at all, that you can't do nothing. But if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. So if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is, this is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So church, what do we do after the cross? After you receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, guys, there's so much work to be done. That we, the gospel, our Father needs our help to proclaim his glory and his goodness. And I promise you, it would be the best experience that you can possibly live. So let us stand as we begin to proclaim the victory in Jesus because he got up. He's no longer on the cross. So church, let's not lose sight of the cross. Let's realign ourselves to our Heavenly Father in such a way that He will be proud of us, that we can proclaim who He is, that we can pray to who He is. And I promise you, it will be the best days of your life. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from One Church. If you made a decision of any kind today or would like to learn more about what your next step is, visit onechurchnc.net. If you are local to our campus, plan your visit online at onechurchnc.net slash visit.
Thank you for watching today's video. If you made a commitment of any kind or you made a first time decision to accept Christ, we want to hear from you. Email us at info at onechurchnc.net. If today's message encouraged you, we want to encourage you to give so that we can continue to share the hope of Jesus. You can do that by visiting onechurchnc.net slash give.